You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. morning everybody. We've been working through on and off the spiritual disciplines this year um, to encourage each one of us to uh, spend time in prayer, in fasting, in worship, in Bible reading, various other spiritual disciplines with the goal of being conformed to the image of Christ, the most important goal we can have for our lives. And it's been a little bit of a slow process getting through there because we've had various other occasions and various other preachers we've needed to slot in there, which has all been really good stuff. But uh, this morning we're coming back to part two of one I did a few weeks ago. Um, just a quick show of hands. Who's finding uh, they're making some progress with their spiritual disciplines? Yeah? <laughs> Okay, it's one of those things, it's a lifelong process, the spiritual disciplines, a lifelong process of being conformed to the image of Christ and the spiritual disciplines are some of the means that God uses uses to shape us that way. And so if we get a bit bit behind or uh, slack or lazy or whatever it may be, pick it up again, pick it up again. So one of the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading This week, I won't spend too much time building a theological case for it. I did that in part one of this. If you want to hear that, you can get the uh, the message on our podcast, the City Edge podcast. What I intend to talk to you about today is how the Word of God saved my life. But before I get to that, let's do a brief recap of the previous message, just for anyone who may have missed it or any visitors that uh, weren't here the last time. When we're talking about this last time, I talked about how society has largely rejected the Bible and there's been severe damage, I believe, in our society as a result of that rejection. We see the outworking of that rejection all around us as society breaks down and lawlessness increases. But ironically, we're in the bizarre situation where the human race is more connected today by internet and social media than at any time in human history, except maybe in the Garden of Eden, and yet seemingly more isolated from one another than ever. And that connected isolation or isolated connectedness, if you like, manifests itself in extreme bullying we see on social media that sometimes leads to suicide. The lies, the vitriol that's spewed out by keyboard warriors can destroy reputations, careers and tragically even lives. But bizarrely amongst all that we gloat that we're the most civilised, most advanced, most sophisticated society, society that ever lived. You'd laugh if it wasn't so sad. There's a drought of the word of God in our society that should cause us grief. I heard just this past week or so that one of the judges in our Victorian court system is calling for the Bible to be removed from the courts. 
should really come as no surprise to us because the Bible has been rejected by our society. But if there's a drought of the word of God in our society, how much more should we grieve over the drought of the word of God in our own lives? For far too many of us Christians effectively ignore the Bible. We rarely read it for ourselves. And for many Christians, the only time they'll ever hear anything of the Bible is the occasional Sunday morning when they decide to wander into church. It should be obvious to us that there is no way to be spiritually healthy without a regular intake of the word of God. When the Israelites escaped from Egypt and were being led through the wilderness, they would have starved to death if God hadn't provided manna miraculously from heaven for them for every day. That daily provision of manna is a picture for us of the importance of a daily intake of the word of God. We will starve to death spiritually if we don't keep taking in the scriptures. Just as we can survive for a few weeks, maybe even a few months without food, we can survive for a period of time without taking in the word of God. But in both cases, we will become weaker over time. We will become more prone to illness and infections. We will have less strength to get through the day. Eventually, we will become too weak to even stand up, let alone do any work. Most of us have been through periods of our life where we could attest to the truth of that. Without some intervention, we will die. This is true spiritually, no less than it's true physically. But spiritual death has much more severe consequences than merely physical death. Spiritual death has eternal consequences. There's a significant warning for us, as well as a beautiful encouragement in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17.5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And we skip down to verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We're kidding ourselves if we think we can remain healthy as believers without a regular intake of the word of God. Our deceitful heart will tell us that we'll be just fine without it. But the truth is, without a regular intake of the word of God, we will dwell in parched places. The dryness of our souls and the dryness of our spirits will exactly mirror that dry, dusty bush in the desert. But in between those two verses, Jeremiah writes, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green 
and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We don't need to trust in our own strength. We can trust in the Lord and grow healthy and strong. Notice Jeremiah didn't say that we won't experience drought. Jeremiah said, when we experience drought, when we experience drought, all of us will experience drought at some time in our life. But when we experience drought, we don't need to worry, for we will continue to stay healthy and bear fruit if we put down our roots and our trust in God. So with that introduction, I want to get to what I promised to talk to you about, how the Bible saved my life. When I mentioned last week that I'd be talking about this, some people asked me what I meant by that. Did I mean it saved my life spiritually? Well, yes, it's true, it did. But that's not what I mean when I said the, say the Bible saved my life. Or some thought it might be like those stories of a soldier in war who gets shot but the bullet hits the Bible that's in his pocket and so he survives. That's probably closer to the truth because the Bible did save me from an early grave. I've related the story in the past about the events that led up to our move from Adelaide to Melbourne 24 years ago. It was in many ways a very difficult time emotionally and spiritually. It was even a traumatic time for us as a family. We were separating from all our family back in Adelaide. We were moving to a new city where we knew virtually no one. We had nowhere to live. We had no church to attend. We had no one to turn to for support. And to multiply the pressure, I was starting a new business from scratch. But then on top of all this, I was moving with a crushing weight of doubt, despair and confusion. With the benefit of hindsight, I can see that I was carrying an overwhelming sense of disappointment in God. And I felt betrayed by God. He had made a clear promise to me regarding a major decision in my life. It was a decision that would cause a fair bit of upheaval, but it was a major decision that God had clearly spoken to me about and had been confirmed in many ways by many other people. And it had not come to pass. In fact, the opposite came to pass. God's promise to me collapsed around my ears like a building falling down after an explosion. He had not lived up to his promise and it shook me to the core spiritually. What saved me and what saved my faith from crashing on the rocks was the word of God. But you know, it wasn't that I turned to the Bible for comfort. In fact, the last thing I wanted to do was read the Bible. I didn't pick it up for months or more after this. And it wasn't that I sought out other Christians or a church for help and support and encouragement. The last place I wanted to be was in church. 
I didn't actively or consciously seek any support from anyone. At best, I went through the motions of being a Christian, but there was little reality to my relationship with God, at least from my side. If left to my own devices, I have no doubt that my shattered faith would have destroyed my life and quite possibly my family. In the providence of God, I had given up drinking alcohol about a year before we moved to Melbourne. If I hadn't, I expect I would have descended into alcoholism. That's how badly I was shaken by what God had let me down with. If I'd followed my heart, as so many people suggest we do today, I seriously doubt that I'd be standing here today to tell you the story. For there were times I was depressed and overwhelmed, almost to the point of suicide. I'm convinced I would have spiralled out of control and beyond human help, if not for the word of God. But how does a Bible that you don't read and don't want to read save your life? Good question. The one thing I had done right in all the years leading up to our move was to read my Bible, to read it often, to read it regularly and to read it from cover to cover. And those words, breathed out by the Holy Spirit, got into me. They got into my soul. They got into my spirit. They got into my thoughts. Now, I hadn't consciously been reading the Bible for that purpose. It never crossed my mind as I was reading it that I was putting down roots. I was just reading it because I wanted to learn about my God and my Saviour. What I didn't realise, though, when I was doing that, is that is exactly what the Bible was doing. It was putting down roots. It was doing what God designed it to do when we spend time in it. It was getting into me and putting down roots like a tree planted by a stream. Anyway, there I was in a new, strange city, laying in bed feeling alone, abandoned and sorry for myself, and no desire to read the Bible, no desire to go to church, no interest in any of the things of God. But there was one passage of scripture I couldn't shake from my thoughts. It niggled at me like, like a mozzie buzzing around that you can't catch. Funnily enough, it wasn't a scripture that I had memorised or studied or meditated on, but it still niggled at me. You know the passage well. It's in John chapter 6. It's where, John, where Jesus has just finished miraculously feeding the 5,000. He starts telling people that they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. That's too much. That's just strange. Then after this, John 6.66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, 
To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Wish I could describe what this verse did to me. Peter's words kept rattling around in my head. I couldn't shake them off. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I knew, deep down inside, I knew that if I didn't get myself in the church, I was a dead man walking. I needed the words of eternal life. I needed to put myself in a place where I'd be hearing them regularly, even if I wasn't reading them myself. I still need those words of eternal life today. You know, don't you, that you never outgrow the need for the words of eternal life? Thank God that the Holy Spirit was true to his word, for he used what had been deposited in me by reading my Bible in all the years leading up to the move to sustain me when things fell apart. And I hadn't been reading it all those years previously for that purpose, but it still worked to do it. Because God's word will always do the work he sends it to do. It never fails. It never fails. That wasn't the only time the word of God saved my life. In fact, next time, it saved not only me, but it saved my family as well. I suspect that none of my family even realised this. Even though I started going to church regularly and hearing the word of God most weeks, my problems still weren't solved. The doubt and the disappointment that engulfed me was beginning to produce a bitterness towards God, a bitterness towards other Christians, a bitterness towards the church. And that bitterness was potentially even more deadly because it didn't only threaten my own relationship with God, it threatened to consume my loved ones as well. So thank God that there was another scripture that was rattling around in my head that I couldn't shake off, a verse that worked its way into my soul by all that Bible reading of previous years. Another one I'm sure you know well, Hebrews 12.15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. I could see my own bitterness beginning to spill over into my family. It was beginning to poison them as well. And that terrified me. It was bad enough that I could destroy my own faith, my own relationship with God through my bitterness, but it was infinitely worse that I'd be responsible for destroying the faith of others, for destroying the faith of my loved ones. Friends, I can't stress enough how subtle and how deadly is the evil of bitterness. The sin of bitterness, let's call it what it is, the sin of bitterness. Please don't allow it to spring up in your life. I've seen too many who've succumbed to it. 
no doubt, feeling it's their right to be bitter after what has happened to them. I've seen too much harm come from it. I've seen the potential damage of it in my own life. Bitterness never just affects you alone. It always defiles others too. Please, please, please root it out before it takes hold. Don't get the impression that I walked into a church and all my doubts were washed away. It was a slow process. It actually took a number of years, three or four years I think it was. But God was faithful to use his word that had been deposited in my soul. He used it to keep me alive physically for long enough to restore my spiritual health. Let me tell you, there is no substitute for the word of God. Even when you think you're not getting anything out of it, even when you're only reading it, not studying it, it will do its work. It quietly and gently prepares the soil for its own seed to grow in and it waters and nourishes the seed that it has planted. Just as a farmer doesn't see the hidden work going on underground after he plants a seed, we can't see how the word of God works in our own souls. But thank God that his word does exactly what he has designed it to do. I probably don't need to remind you what the Apostle John recorded in Revelation, but I will anyway. Revelation 20, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. What will sustain you against the flood of pressure to conform to the world, against the opposition, the persecution, even the death that you might face one day? Do you think society cares to support you, to encourage you, to help you stay on the straight and narrow? You need the inner strength, the confidence, the security that comes from the word of God deposited in your soul. The word of God saved my life. It will save yours too. It won't necessarily save your physical life like it did for me. In fact, if there's any truth to what John saw and recorded in Revelation, it may actually cost you your physical life. It may be the reason why you are killed, your adherence to the word of God. But if you stake your life on the word, if you put your trust in its author, physical death is nothing to fear. For you will come to life again and the second death will have no power over you. 
Let me just quickly touch on some of the other reasons why we need to read our Bible regularly. Firstly, the Bible brings us the knowledge of good and the knowledge of God. Adam and Eve sought an instant download in the Garden of Eden. The devil had convinced them that all they needed to do was to eat that fruit and they would gain the knowledge of good and evil. He was half right. They took a bite and instantly had the knowledge of evil. Tragically, the knowledge of good was more in the loss than in the gain. Today, by the grace of God, we have the Bible to teach us the knowledge of good and evil. We have no problem gaining the knowledge of evil today. We're born into it. We are surrounded by it. We are bombarded by it from every direction and we live it out in our lives tragically too much. The world won't teach us the knowledge of good. Behaviours that were considered shameful in the past in previous generations not only are acceptable today, they are taught, they are encouraged and they are even celebrated. The world has a vested interest in keeping us in the dark. So where are we to look if we want to know about good? Primarily and most importantly to the Bible. Those writings that were breathed out by God, inspired by God. The Bible also brings freedom. But it's no use to us if we don't know it. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Notice it doesn't happen magically. If you abide in my word, Jesus said, that means commitment. It means intentionality. It means effort. When we abide in his word, we will know the truth. And that truth, the truth we know, will set us free. You want freedom? You need the knowledge of good. You need the knowledge of truth, which is only found reliably and unchangingly in the Bible. The Bible also gives us discernment. We are assaulted constantly by messages from the world and from other Christians and religions that are not always helpful to our spiritual health and maturity. How can you sort out the wheat from the chaff? You can read articles or listen to messages from other people, hopefully from people with a good track record of discernment themselves, to see what their opinion is. You can talk to other Christians that you trust to get their insight and wisdom. Or you can know the word. I could tell you another story about how the knowledge of the word also saved me from being sucked into a religious cult. But time's running away from us, so it might have to wait for another time. The Bible is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This discernment that the Bible provides us isn't just useful for protecting us from cults and false religions. It helps you to know whether what I'm preaching here on a Sunday morning is true or if it's error. 
It helps you to know if that person you're listening to on a podcast or at a conference conference is preaching truth or error. It will even help you, if you know it, decide who to vote for at our upcoming federal election. The safest way to hear God and to discern error is to become so familiar with truth that error stands out. And the best way to do that is to read and to know your Bible. It's a safety net for us. The Bible also provides us weapons for our defence. I'm stirred and challenged, I think I've said before, by Jesus' response to Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness before he started his ministry. For every assault that the devil launched, Jesus had a response, a defence. It is written. It is written. It is written. There was no hesitation from Jesus. He didn't weigh up his options. He didn't need to discuss the pros and cons. He didn't even need to go away and pray about it. He knew the will of his Father because he knew the Word of God. And it wasn't just an intellectual knowledge, it permeated his soul, his very being. You might argue that Jesus has an unfair advantage over us because he is God. But did you notice that Jesus didn't exert his divine authority when he responded to the devil? Jesus could have said, you can't make me, I'm God. I'm not susceptible to your tricks. No, he responded with the word of God, it is written. We can respond to temptation and trial the same way. It is written. But we need the word of God to saturate our souls to do that. The only way to do that is to get it in you. And the only way to get it in in you is to read it, to abide in it, and to soak in it. To soak in it so long and so deeply that when you are squeezed, the word drips out. It is written. Not the strength of your personality, not your wisdom or your experience, not even your beliefs, but the word it is written. My desire, my longing, is that when I'm confronted by temptation or trial, my natural and unforced, my real response would be the same as Jesus. It is written. Because his word has become so deeply etched in my soul. His word so saturates my being that nothing else could could come out. My desire is that this would be true of you also. Do you desire this? I hope so. If you don't, will you join me in praying that God will plant that desire in you this morning? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Father, I ask this morning that you will put a deep burning desire within each one of us for your word, for your truth. I pray that none of us will be satisfied with the fairy floss that the world serves up to us. Would you give us an insatiable hunger for the meat of your word? Would we never be satisfied with anything less than knowing your word deeply and intimately? I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you will write the Bible on our hearts and on our minds that it will permeate every fibre of our being, 
Holy Spirit, we invite you to do this work within us. In the precious name of Jesus, of whom the whole of the word speaks. Amen. You don't get knowledge of this book or knowledge of our Lord without putting time into it. Read it. Then read it some more. Then read it again. There's no substitute for reading it for yourself. Be diligent, or study it says in the King James Version, to present yourself before God as one tried and true, an unashamed worker, correctly handling the word of truth. Let me say it again. There is no substitute. Of course, reading merely for intellectual knowledge falls far short of how we should handle the word of God. We need to obey what we read also. And I'll deal with that in a future message. For now, I want you to grasp the desperate need that you have, that I have, and that we all have to get this word into us. There's a number of different ways to read the Bible. You can read it devotionally to draw you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. You can read it as part of in-depth study so you understand doctrines and various teachings and understand the Bible as a whole. You can read it purely to get it into you, as I've been suggesting as our starting point, to build up your general knowledge and to give you a big picture, if you like, of the Bible, while at the same time putting down roots. Some ways are better than others, but none of them are without value. And in fact, while I don't recommend it, you could even read the Bible to try to prove it wrong. If you choose to do this, you might be surprised at the change it brings about in you as you're exposed to its truth. Uh, We had a handout in the previous session. I don't know if we've got any out there at the moment, but there's a number of useful resources on that handout to develop a habit of Bible reading. I'll talk a bit more about some of those resources and some of the ways of reading the Bible when we come back to the next spiritual discipline of meditation in a couple of weeks' time. But the reason why my faith survived the storms all those years ago is partly because I put down roots into the Word of God, but mostly I survived because God is faithful. His Word never fails. If you spend time in it, you too will survive droughts, storms and trials. If you haven't spent time reading the Bible on a regular basis, why not start today? Let's take this journey together. This coming week, find a plan that works for you and begin reading the Bible daily. You might find it difficult, you might forget some days or get too busy, that's right, pick it up the next day and keep going. Find a time and a place that minimises distractions and interruptions. It's hard to make this an enduring part of your life if you get distracted every time you pick it up. For me, I find early in the morning before work or late in the evening when I'm in bed and everything's quiet the best time. This book, this Bible, is all about Jesus Christ. It tells the story of why he had to come. It begins with a perfect creation, then reveals the entrance of sin into the world. It tells us why we're in such a mess today. It shows us the plan of 
plan that God had put in place from before the beginning of time to make all things new again. And it tells us about a future time when things won't just be better, they will be perfect. If you don't know Jesus Christ yet, the one this book reveals, I invite you to start reading it today to find out about him. If you don't have a Bible, we have some available as a gift on the entry table. I bought some yesterday for people that may not have them, for visitors that might come in here without one. Please feel free to take one. Or if you have a friend that doesn't have a Bible and wants to read it, take one for them. The ones I bought have uh, some reading plans in there as well and some aids to help read the Bible. As you read about him, as you read about Jesus Christ, you will find him to be the perfect example of what humanity is meant to be. But you will find him to be much more than that too. You will find him to be God himself. A loving God who desires to have a relationship with each one of us. And you can safely put your life in his hands. This Bible will tell you all about that. It's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The faith you need for salvation is a gift from from him and you'll find it most reliably and most accurately in this book. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, it says in Romans. Pick it up and read it. And as you do, ask him to show you if he is real. He will never turn away a genuine inquirer. To you close your eyes as we close in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for your word your glorious word that makes us wise, that guides us, that leads us in paths of righteousness, that shields us from the attacks of the enemy. Thank you, Lord, most of all, that your word reveals you, your plan of salvation, your grace, your goodness, your mercy without which we would have no hope and no future. Would you write your word on our hearts and in our minds so that we would always live to your glory and for your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your attention. Can I encourage you, pick up your Bibles and read and read and read this week. Uh, yes, actually, God did fulfil his promise. It just took two dozen years. <laughs> so, uh, yes, God is faithful, always faithful. Next week, we'll have the pleasure of Mike preaching. So please pray for him as he prepares this week. A uh, couple of weeks' time, we'll come back and look at the spiritual discipline of meditation and study. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.